Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles, 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying Because the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our Instagram is back. Hooray! Yay! Finally. At BC the Beatles everywhere. And uh, this is a very special episode. It's not our usual fare that we post every other week. This is a very exciting first listen special uh, for Paul McCartney's new album, Egypt Station, Yay. which came out today. Once again, Paul made us do it. I'm nursing a cold right now, so if I sound really bad, that's why. But for Paul, I will commit this to the internet forever and sound like this. See how dedicated she is? Very. I'm so dedicated. Look at me crawling out of my grave. <laughs> So Egypt Station, again, out right now. And uh, we've covered a lot of the Egypt Station rollout in our very first episode, because kind of ironically, Paul made us do that too. It was a pretty dramatic period of our lives. He makes a us do a lot of things. If you're not familiar with the rollout of Egypt Station or how that sort of got announced, be sure to go check out episode one and we'll fill you in. Also, that episode contains a really fun description of one of Paul's weirdest things ever, which was the Thrillington album. So stick around for that. So Egypt Station is Paul's 17th studio album, which is crazy. Uh, The first one since 2013's New, which, you know, we've been waiting a long time for this, obviously. The whole thing was produced by Greg Kirsten, who's worked for well, uh, most recently, um, one track, which I believe is, is Fug You, it was produced by Ryan Tedder, who is an incredibly prolific songwriter. And interestingly, this is also a return to Capitol Records, and Paul hadn't released anything on Capitol since Chaos and Creation in 2005. So this is, yeah, return, return home, because the Beatles were on Capitol here in the States. These two producers that he worked with are really cutting-edge modern producers. I mean, Greg Kirsten... You know, Adele, Kelly Clarkson, uh, Foo Fighters, Beck. I don't know if you know the Beck song, Dear Life. It sounds so much like a Beatles song. And then Ryan Tedder, One Direction, Taylor Swift. He really runs the gamut of current big, big musical people. And he's a completely like of the moment modern songwriter who has penned hits for everybody on that list, I'm sure. I know a lot of my own songwriter friends look up to him as an inspiration, just like they look up to Paul. So Egypt Station has been dubbed by Paul as a concept album, the concept being travel. The travel theme is pretty loose and maybe more of a travel through your mind or travel through themes or travel through musical ideas rather than, you know, travel through physical places. The way he describes it, obviously, is through different stations. And I guess he kind of leaves that up to the listener to decide what that means. Obviously, there are two tracks on the album opening station and station two but i don't know if i would call this a concept album like i don't really see the the concept if unless it's just sheerly that each song is meant to transport you to a different sort of station or scene or place but that doesn't to me make a concept album happen that way you know it's concept albums sort of have a cohesive overarching narrative this one I don't know. I don't really feel that. I feel like Paul's idea of a concept album, which started back at Sgt. Pepper, really, is very different than the traditional idea of a concept album, which is more like the Who's Tommy. That's a story. It's cohesive. It's all the way through. Some of those songs would never stand by themselves because they're just so woven into the album. But 
Paul doesn't do concept albums like that. I mean, really, Sgt. Pepper is, is not like that at all. It had a very similar to this, where it had this opening, and it had this similar closing, and then it had a number of songs that you can fit into a very loose concept, which I know they used to heighten their creativity at the time, but it's not like something that could be turned into a musical with a cohesive story without a lot of work. Right, and I almost wonder if his definition of a concept album is purely to get listeners to listen to the whole thing from front to back, because he has also said that he created this with the album concept in mind, which is very much lost in an era where we're streaming singles. So that could also be kind of where he's coming from with that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So... Erica and I have not talked to each other about this album. We've had it for a couple days. We've listened to it over and over. I know I listened to it like three or four times today mm-hmm. uh, before we recorded. So we're going to go through some first reactions. And we already did talk about the first three singles that came out, um, Come On To Me, I Don't Know, and For You um, in our past episodes. But Erica, what's your first impression of Egypt Station? My first impression... I didn't like it as much as I thought it would the first, Mm -hmm. first time I listened to it. I kept thinking, oh, you know, these lyrics, maybe they're a little lazy or this feels a little bit like it's been done before. But then when I took a day away and I listened to it again, I fucking loved it. Yeah. And I don't know what what that was. Maybe it's just because sometimes it's just hard to listen to a new album that you don't know, especially from an artist that you know very well, because you're so associating them with everything else that they've ever done. And this is new. So it kind of takes your brain a time or two to really process the new things. But now I love it. I think he did such a great job merging his classic styles with the styles of the day. And I think that was probably helped along by the two producers he used. Um, I think it was creative. I think it was in a lot of places fun. I mean, there were a couple of, of songs that I'll probably always skip, but for the most part, I really liked it. And it's going to fold right into my my many McCartney playlists. What did you think? I agree. Actually, when I was listening to tracks like Back in Brazil, to name one, that I'm really not that big on, uh, I sort of had that same thought of, wow, these these lyrics are really lazy rhyming things like man and plan and it just I don't know it didn't seem up to his usual standard that being said I completely 100% agree the first time I heard it I was a little disappointed because it's been talked about so much and especially the hype surrounding it when it was first announced I was expecting it to like change my life instantly and it didn't but I think when I listened to it again sort of focused on it and and enjoyed it and sort of sang along to some of the singles that we already knew, then it began to take shape in my mind. And it was like, okay, I like this a lot more. And the songs that the first time I heard it, I was like, meh, I don't really like these. I started to like them more. And, you know, like you said, like the divide happens where there are songs that are definitely going to end up on playlists. There are songs that you're going to skip, but that's natural with any album. And it's funny because like, I didn't love Come On to me that much of the first three songs that we heard. That was my least favorite. Um, So, you know, I had this on and I was working or something and it was in the background and it came on and it wasn't really paying attention. And I was like, oh, what is this? This is awesome. And it's like, oh, it's this song that I didn't really like the first time I heard it. Yeah, I, again, completely agree with that. I, yeah, because I think we were super underwhelmed when that was the first, because it seemed just sort of like a throwaway. It's going to be good live uh, as like a crowd pleaser, but like as to listen to it on a record is not that um, enriching, but I do think, yeah, that one has definitely grown on me as well. And I still yeah. I still love 
I don't know. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so melodic. It's just like, could he be more Paul McCartney than he is in that moment when he sings that song? <laughs> right. And it's right? great. It's so funny. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, the, the album opens with opening station. That's the first track, which is a short kind of noisy sort of ethereal look at what a train station might sound like. And with a kind of angelic chorus in the back. And it reminded me very quickly of the opening of Sgt. Pepper. I thought that was interesting, that sort of parallel. And I actually drew, I'm literally consulting, by the way, my uh, my notebook here. You might hear it rustling that I took notes on yesterday when I was listening to Egypt Station. But I actually drew a couple parallels with a few of the tracks to Beatles songs that were pretty uncanny, I thought. I don't know if you picked up on the same things. But with the opening station, what I actually heard was Eke Hormeum. I don't know. It, okay. It was, yeah. I think it was the chorus and the sound of that kind of high ethereal voice and the, the merging of the classical with the McCartney sound. I could hear that. Yeah. But yeah, I totally see what you mean about Sgt. Pepper, too. I mean, that that is the, the bookend, the, you know, the first and the sort of last song kind of ties it together and makes you remember that there's a concept if you listen to it through. Right. Well, not to jump ahead too much, but if you think about also with Sgt. Pepper, you know, you have the Sgt. Pepper reprise at the end that goes into Day in the Life. Here you have Station 2, which is that, again, that ambient sort of noise uh, in a station that flows right into the, the end suite. So mm -hmm. it's kind of it's kind of weird how those parallel. Not saying that was intentional, but kind of strange. Um but one thing that I thought was really interesting is that the first real track on the album is I Don't Know. That's such a weird track to open it with. Yeah, because it's not, it, it's sad. I mean, it's very honest and lost and not usually like McCartney, like thinking back to like Chaos and Creation, it's, he opens with Fine Line. Right. With like a driving guitar and, you know, you burst right into it. This is, this is sort of weird and experimental. I mean, first you have that opening station, and then you have a very sad song. As you say that, I'm thinking back to like Memory Was Full that started off again with a, like a rocker. It's, it's a really interesting choice. I think it's a great choice because that is one of the strongest songs on the album. I don't know. Every time I hear it, I fall, fall more in love with it. And it's just more heart, it touches my heart. And it just, I don't know. It's, yeah, one of those classic, you know, McCartney ballads that you expect on any album. So that sort of checks that box. Yeah, that's one of the ones that's going to stand out, I think, for, for a sure. long time as one of the best songs in this album. Yeah, I hope he does that live. That would be lovely to hear. Would be, really would yeah. be. So Come On To Me follows I Don't Know. And that sort of obviously picks up the tempo a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I like that much more than I did before. Now I really yeah. enjoy that one. So Yeah, I feel like it has a good home in this track list. Just hearing it for the first time was just so disheartening. But it's funny, I was driving my car today listening to this album and it came on and I was sort of thinking back to like carpool karaoke because I was definitely singing along with Come On To Me. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I would because I just really didn't, I wasn't a fan of that song, but it's really, really grown on me. It's not the best song on the album. So I think that it was disappointing to hear it and think, is this what he thinks is the best song on the album? Is this going to be right. the best you get? And also the first time we heard it, it was like a shitty YouTube video from that. Yeah. <laughs> from the, the Philharmonic. Yeah. Just being able to listen to it more and more, as you said, in the context of the album, but also just the studio version makes it much better. I sort of pair it in my mind with like, for you, because they're both sort of in that realm of, Paul being like kind of sexy and funny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he said that Come On To Me obviously is about a sort of imaginary time 
probably in the sixties when he would have probably locked eyes with a, a girl at a party and slipped away with her and tried to, you know, um, you know, go read the Bible. I'm sure uh, oh, would be what course. they would do. Yes. And, uh, you know, pray and, and do some stamp collecting. Uh, well, he just so, wants to pray for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That is what it, yeah. Pray for you. That's perfect. Original lyrics by Paul McCartney. <laughs> so yeah, come on to me. Definitely sounds better in context. Now, I really like Happy With You. What do you think of that song? I did too. At first I was like, wait, what? What, what is he saying? But then I I loved it. I loved it more and more. The beginning sounds like Mother Nature's son. It's sweet. Yeah. I love McCartney acoustic. It's that almost country, but, but not there kind of thing that he does. 100%. Yes, I actually wrote down two songs that just reminded me of Little Willow or I Do from Driving Rain, which is also that sort of country twang. Oh, Little Willow. I knew it. There was something I could not put my finger on. It was that, yeah, that twangy thing that he's got going on there. It's almost exactly like Little Willow. Yeah, it's very much like that. But I don't think it would be a McCartney album if there weren't a track like that on it. I think Mm -hmm. we all expect it. This is one of the songs where hearing his age kind of helps it because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's looking back. This is more of the vision of age that he has now that he is at this stage than, you know, 23-year-old Paul thought when he wrote When I'm 64. You know, it's, right. it's not about I'm going to sit in a rocking chair and, and putter around the house. It's I used to be wild. I used to take drugs. I used to, you know, drink a lot. But I found you and I'm settled and I'm happy for it. Let's travel and be cute together. Yeah. And I mean, I also think that the you could refer to himself as well as I'm happy with myself. I don't need to get stoned and get wasted all the time. I'm happy with where my life is, what's happened with my life. I've got a great wife and I've got a great family and I've got a great career that I'm still really enjoying. So it could be, you know, could mean different things on different levels. Yeah, totally true. And there was one moment where he does like a chugga chugga chug. That kind of brought me back into the train travel kind of theme. I don't know if he put a few things in hmm. there to make you think about that a little bit. Interesting. I didn't catch that. I'll have to listen to it again. Yes, that's a keeper. That's a great one. Yes, I love that. Um, and I also really liked Who Cares, which is interesting, you know, when you think about the contrast between Happy With You and Who Cares. He says that, you know, Who Cares carries a very anti-bullying message which is amazing, um, I think, for this day and age. But he's directly addressing mostly kids with this track mm-hmm. and not really people of his own age who, or even like our age, that don't really deal with bullies on a daily basis like like kids do at school, on the internet, everywhere. It's just rampant these days. Yeah, and I also thought it was a nice pairing with one of the last songs on, on here, Despite Repeated Warnings, which is the Trump mm-hmm. song, which we'll get to later, but doing an anti-Trump song and also doing an anti-bullying song theme is, is as much be good to other people as it is uh, travel or anything else. You know, he's really putting his opinions out there, which I like. Right. As far as the sound of who cares, I liked it. I didn't start as one of my favorites, but the melody and even the words reminded me very much of like a wing song or something off of off the ground, which is one of my favorite McCartney mm-hmm. albums. Uh, oh, and also this is the part where I picked up a Beatles element to it the opening was very all too much like I when it came on I was like oh is this all too much oh yeah yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. that sort of swirl and the psychedelic sort of intro but one of the other notes I made about who cares is I think it would be really interesting to know as somebody who grew up being bullied you know what it would have been like to hear a Paul McCartney song when I was a kid to be like okay well Paul 
who cares about you? I do. It's Paul cares about me. You know, I shouldn't care about those kids at school. You know, that would have been really, really lovely. As we know, there are plenty of people in school age who are obsessed with Paul, just like we are. So it's not like he's not going to reach some people that age. Yeah. Yeah. And he's staying current on that issue. And, and yeah, Paul, uh, people, kids are probably still getting bullied because they love you and your music. So thanks for making this. You might make them feel better. Yeah, we all were. So <laughs> that's all right, though. We'll, we'll take yeah, it. It's okay. We'll take it. At first, I thought the song was a little, a little strange. It was kind of like a hard rock juxtaposed with this very nice message it reminded me a little bit of like an after school special or schoolhouse rock or something like that but you know <laughs> one, but that, that was one of those ones in the first listen it was weird but you know getting past that it's like oh this is actually really nice and it's a cool song and you know yeah. good, good on him for doing something that's that's not really that cool you know to talk to kids and talk about bullying in a rock song he doesn't care he does what he wants you know you hit a national on in your life i think where you just you could give a fuck, you know, about mm -hmm. what anybody thinks. And I think he's trying to get people there sooner rather than later, which would be ideal. And he hasn't done much political stuff. There are three songs on this album that touch on political or social issues, which is, I think, more than he's had in at least a decade. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't really been that political. I'm trying to think back to like anything that I can think of, but I can't nothing think of in recent memory. Freedom was the last thing I could think of that was political in any right. way. In 2002, well, 2001, 2002. Yeah, that's that's it, I think. Nothing on chaos. Nothing on memory, nothing on new, yeah. Yeah, wow. So Paul's really, but really, honestly, this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm, yeah. So good for him. Mm -hmm. He's not shying away from it. All right, next song on the track list was my favorite. I think it might be my favorite at this point, for you. I just love it. Yes. I love it. So that's so that's your favorite from the whole album so far. I think, at this point, at this time, in this I, place, <laughs> right, right, this second. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Is great. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of that's also one of my favorites. And again, these are ones I know better, so they're gonna stand out because they're. I just know them better. But this is just one where I just I fucking love it. I love the vibe. I love the mix. I love the vocals. I love the melody. Like it makes me feel like I want to go to like a beach party or something. It's just a happy feeling song. And he doesn't have a lot of songs that are like like summer anthem songs. Like I can't think of another one that's really a summer anthem. And this feels like that to me. I get that. I totally get that. I think I kind of wonder what would happen if it were released on radio and nobody said who it was if the kids would the kids i sound like i'm three thousand years old get but you know people who listen, get off my lawn i'm waving a cane right now you can't tell but you know the like people who listen to top 40 radio if they would adopt it or if they'd say oh it's paul mccartney whatever um but i think yeah it's so good this is the one that ryan tedder produced and you can definitely tell it has that very top 40 radio friendly sound to it. Um, and I particularly really love the use of the harpsichord on this song. It's that it gets that bouncy sort of stringed vibe without taking it to, you know, psychedelia town. But yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I love it. It's sort of a Baroque element to it, but that sort of gives it more complexity. And it gives and... it more Beatles, more Paul. I mean, who else does this stuff than you know, the Beatles taught by George Martin to do these kind of things. Nobody puts the harpsichords in a party song. Certainly not anymore. No. Certainly not. Yeah. I think, yeah, the arrangement on it is great. It's so catchy. 
like, yeah, we talk a lot about it. Um, I think in episode three, we talk about Fuck You. Uh, but it's it's so good. It's Yeah, it's one of those that keeps growing on me. Every time I hear it, I just want to sing along with it. And I will say that when I saw, you know, when I saw the title, I immediately thought he meant fuck you. Yeah. When I hear him actually talk about it and say it, it does kind of sound like he didn't really mean that. But then they realize that it kind of sounded like that and like, haha, that's funny. Because when he actually says the title of the song, it really does sound like four. Yeah. And it's that sort of humor, which he does again later in the album with Caesar Rock. It's that sort of kind of it comes from Liverpool, the Liverpool humor of merging words and, and creating little phrases and having that double entendres in there, which he's always loved. And I'm excited that we have two of those here on this album. And he acknowledges it sounds raunchy and he calls it a raunchy song. So good for him. Yeah. Well, even without just the word, you know, fuck or for or whatever it is. The song is, you know, he talks about I just want to go to bed. Like, it's it's very blatant, which is awesome. Yeah, I yeah, I like that Paul sort of, I don't want to say coming out of a shell, but it's just, he doesn't give a fuck. I think maybe that's the theme of this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he ever gave a fuck. But that's true. I think that him being, you know, 76, and we're thinking about what somebody that age should and should not be doing. And seeing that, you know, as he gets older, he's not saying, well, I should be doing A, B, and C because of my age. You know, that really is not giving a fuck in a Exactly. Way. And we talked about it a little bit on a previous episode, but he's really setting a new precedent, you know, for these 76-year-olds or these baby boomers coming of age and redefining what it means to be that old or be that age or what you should and shouldn't do, which today there is no, there is no guideline you you can do whatever the hell you want exactly including recording a beach anthem song about something real dirty so, yes go Paul. i love it <laughs> a beach anthem song about something real dirty i love it that's perfect is <laughs> she should put that on the back of the album for the yeah, yeah exactly can i think it's i think they still have some time to reprint it i don't think all of them have shipped shipped yet nice nice paul if you're listening um so after for you is confidant which is basically a love song to his guitar. And I just want to draw a little parallel here between Paul and one of my favorite musicians ever, probably my number one, uh, John of the Love and Spoonful, who recorded an album called Strings of Your Heart on his album with David Grisman called Satisfied uh, a few years ago. And uh, that song is also a love song to a guitar. So these... These musicians who are contemporaries, they love their fucking guitars. What can I tell you? This is about his 1967 Martin D28 acoustic. Um, mm -hmm. He got it in 1968 and he used it on the White Album. It can be heard on Blackbird and Two of Us, among other things. And um, I'm sure you'll hear about him from time to time. My fiance, Luke, loves Paul McCartney as much as I do. In fact, he has a Paul McCartney tattoo that he got well before he ever met me. And he's a musician, and he has a Martin D28 acoustic. Like three weeks ago, he posted something on Instagram of him with his guitar, and it says, me and my Martin, he's so sexy and wooden, and holy smokes, don't get me started. I'm just saying, like, what is it about these musician guys and this guitar? It's kind of weird. That is so funny. Well, Martin guitars are, you know, uh, they're American-made. They're made in Pennsylvania. I read something somewhere maybe about six months ago that said they're, ha they're struggling and, and like a lot of like the Gibson factory and they're kind of, you know, I don't want to say they're contemplating bankruptcy, but that, you know, guitar profits are down across the board. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping by Paul coming out and saying this about my Martin guitar, that it, it inspires people to buy Martins because they're really amazing guitars. Yes, for sure. You too can Definitely. have a guitar that sounds just like Blackbird. 
Exactly. But as Paul says, you probably can't play it. Well, just like him. I don't know, everybody. I can't play it. I suck. I can't play it at all. He says that in concert, though. He says, raise your hand if you've tried to play Blackbird. And he says, guess what? You're doing it wrong. You know, I don't know. I don't really buy that. Because I've met people who can play it perfectly, and it sounds just like the record. So if they're doing it wrong, maybe they're not playing it left-handed. Is that what I don't know what what you're getting at with that, Paul. I don't know. Maybe maybe Paul's doing it wrong. I don't know. Everybody else (laughs) is doing it right. That'd be super ironic. I love it. What did you think about the actual song? Um, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a standout for me, but... I don't even have any notes. I'm trying to read my notes here of what I said what I said about the first time I listened to it, but I don't have anything. Um, yeah, it was okay. It's okay. You know, it's I don't hate it, but is it one that I'm probably going to like go back to and listen to? Probably not. It was fine. As he's called himself before, it's just a little bit too twee for me. Um, you know, lyrics like, uh-huh. unlike my other so-called friends, you stood beside me as I fought. Yeah, I just felt it was a little bit. Oh, yes. A little I- bit sicky sweet, too sugary. I hated that lyric. Like yeah. the fought lyric makes me crazy. And yeah. he's, he said that when he explained the song and um, he did a track by track on the Beatles channel too. And he called out that lyric specifically. And I was like, Oh my God, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like, I don't know. I feel like that's sort of lazy songwriting and how dare I say that about Paul McCartney's songwriting. But I, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, if there's any overall criticism I have about this album, I feel like there is more lazy songwriting than there should be on, on yeah. a Paul McCartney album that we waited five years for. Yeah, but, you know, he, he does what he wants, as we said, and that's what he wanted to do. He seems to be really proud of that, that particular lyric, too. Lyrics aside, I do like the folk country feel of it, and I do like the fact that, you know, he's obsessing about this particular guitar. It made me a little bit sad, though, when he sort of, there's a lyric in there about how he sort of laid it aside and the romance was over, and that made me sad. It's like, Paul, like, that's your guitar, like, you know, and it made me think, like, okay, what's he actually playing then? Probably piano, probably, you know, um, bass, obviously, Uh, but, you know, when he tours, obviously he plays everything. But it made me a little sad to think, like, Paul's just not sitting at home, like, strumming away on a guitar sometimes when he feels like it. Or maybe he just put it aside for other other instruments. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, it's okay song. It's fine. Um, the next song, People Want Peace. This is interesting. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, let's just, let's just get it over with. I... It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I probably will never listen to this song. I just... It's so tired. It's so overwritten. Like... It makes me think about when he does give he's a chance in concert. It's like we get it. I, I like the sentiment behind it because it, he it comes from his visit to Israel and seeing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict from the front lines. And I, I related to that because I also did that when I visited Israel a few years ago and kind of had that experience too where, um, you know, seeing the concept of peace of both sides and sort of figuring out, like, what was going on. But I just... I don't know. I I was just wasn't impressed with the song. I think the sen- sentiment is good. It just is not. I don't know. It's just I, I can't get behind it. Why do so many social justice songs have to sound like eighties world music? <laughs> I don't know. And I mo- love almost it. everything he writes, which has a social justice, he just goes immediately into that. I'm. I wish it was a, a song I liked more. I wish it was a better song, because as you said, I also like the sentiment. I think it's really nice to be talking about peace especially in you know in the middle east and with israel and palestine but uh, no 
Yeah. And I also think it gives people grounds to sort of attack him, which kudos to him for even entering, opening up this door and entering. But, uh, you know, because people, for better or for worse, and I'm not saying we do it because we don't, um, say, peace is John's territory. How dare Paul, who writes the, you know, the granny shit, come into this peace world and try to write a peace anthem, which is clearly what this is supposed to be. He's definitely going to play this live and he's definitely going to encourage people to sing along with the chorus. And there's even a a sing along part to it. So it just sort of gives him more grounds to get attacked on that front. Yep. He doesn't have to write social justice songs like this. No. We'll talk about the, the Donald Trump song later, but that was much more clever and subtle and musically rich and this really did feel like something he probably could have thrown out in 1982. Like, I'm trying to think if it would even have been at home on Flowers in the Dirt. Yes. I don't think so. Yes. There Do was, you think so? What was that song? What was that song on Flowers in the Dirt that was just like this? I've been trying to place it for the entire time. Uh, I'm going to, I got to find the track list. I know. I'm like <laughs> fiercely Googling as well. I had so many of those moments to sing to this album where something stuck out to me and I couldn't place it. And there's a few that I still can't, but. We'll get there. How many like... people? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's exactly that. like how many people. Yes. Yeah. Did he recycle it? Did Elvis Costello call him up and is like, hey, Paul? <laughs> yeah, because if you're going to recycle a McCartney song, that's the one to choose. I didn't like that song in 1989. And I don't like it now. <laughs> in a different Yeah. Language. Well, luckily, and maybe you hate this next song, but I loved Hand in Hand. I th- loved it. I thought it was great. I love, and the chorus the chord changes from major to minor that give it a really interesting uh, like structure that you don't really hear in love songs. I thought it was great. Yeah, I really like this one too. In the track by track rundown that he did on Beatles radio, he mentioned that he was doing it, he was writing at his dad's piano. So another callback to his dad. And it was about a love song from when he and Nancy were first together. And so cute. starting to build a life together, which is sweet on so many levels because it's you know they have a strong marriage but also it was after linda died and after heather mills and it was like starting over at you know an older age and it was really sweet it was it was another one of those you know classic mccartney songs a love song about first love um there's a beautiful flute in the bridge that really made it sweet and nice and gives a kind of a dreamlike feel and so does paul's delivery it's very soft and falsetto-ish which he doesn't do in a lot of songs, at least yeah. anymore. It's very tender. Yeah. yeah. If I was Nancy, yeah. I'd be thrilled. Oh my gosh. I know, right? <laughs> Nancy, you lucky, lucky lady. I thought it was just gorgeous. And I did, I love that he wrote that on his dad's piano, which bought at NEMS, never forget. Um, uh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yes. So Jim McCartney bought his piano at NEMS way before Brian was born. And then I think, I forget when it got sold. It got sold somewhere along the line. I can't remember if it was like when Jim died or Jim moved or something. And it took Paul years, but Paul finally tracked it down and bought it back. So he's finally got it. I love that. Got it again. I love the story of that piano. Um, I know. And I loved uh, when Paul was doing the track by track telling the story about the cellist on the track. He called them lady cellists, which I don't <laughs> think is the most politically correct. He could have said like, one, one cellist... You know, she was getting married with have known, you know, but yes. uh, he was talking about how she was, she was getting married for the second time and how this song gave her confidence in her marriage, which is really sweet. I, yeah, this song is just so lovely and beautiful. 
it reminded me of some of the tracks on uh, Driving Rain, which, whatever, I love that album. But, you know, Your Living Flame is one of my other favorite Paul love songs, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great one. And this sort of reminded me of that one a little bit. This is one of the ones on, on the album where people are saying, oh, he can't write anything anymore. Play them this because this really yeah. does show that he's still really got it. And, and as much as we talk about his lazy songwriting on this a little bit, um, I, I again, the chord changes are so interesting that I think that shows a real attention to detail in sort of making it not just another love ballad, but one that is really memorable and that, no pun intended, strikes a chord when you uh, listen to it. The lazy lyric thing, at least for me when I say that, it's not about, you know, his age or being done or anything like that he's always been that way he's always paid much more attention to the melody than he does to the lyrics right so that's very true it's a very hit or miss thing with him and it always has been whether he's gonna hit that he's gonna nail those lyrics or whether he's just gonna kind of go with the thing that he started with and never really changed it never really thought about it that just speaks to why he and john were such a great partnership yes. because john was obviously a wordsmith yeah so from hand in hand, we go to dominoes. Never really played dominoes. Maybe I'll start. I played them with my grandmother uh, back in the day. That's a old people game, and it's great. So uh, let's see. What did you think about dominoes? I thought it was pretty similar, actually, to hand in hand in the way the feeling was, but with a bit of a more energetic beat. I think it was another one where Paul has kind of out McCartneyed himself. Um, <laughs> the harmonies, the vocal it. turns, the changes in rhythm and lyrical pattern. It's just like if people were going to make construct a classic McCartney song. I think a lot of these things would be in there. Some great guitar at the beginning. And it's it's optimistic. I actually wrote in my notes, please, Paul, give me some of your positive outlook on life. Well, oh my gosh, right? Yeah, I love when he explains Domino's. Uh, he talks about how things are really are okay, even if they don't seem like they're okay, which is something that a lot of people need to hear right now in their lives. It is a great message and it's a great sort of visual as well, like Domino's falling down, but it's a chain reaction and it just, you know, it never stops. And that's kind of how life is. Um, one musical thing that I sort of picked up on, again, comparing it to a Beatles song is the weird breakdown at the end kind of reminded me of, you know, like a yellow submarine, not the song, but the film sort of montage like a pastiche of maybe mm -hmm. something you'd hear in the film. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it's interesting to evaluate these weird turns like you say when he out mccartney's himself and compare them back to the beatles which is inevitable sorry sorry paul i don't think there's anything wrong with being like the beatles especially if you were a beetle true true yeah and we love him for that we love those those things that call back to the things that we're familiar with and that make him who he is yeah exactly i mean at least he doesn't incorporate like beatles lyrics or lyrics from his other fellow beatles into his songs what do you mean, like the Ringo album? <coughs> Are you talking about that. postcards from the Edge? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no? Postcards from Liverpool. Is that postcards the from Paradise? Postcards from. <laughs> Let's just have an episode where we try to remember the name of this album. Postcards. I, don't know. <laughs> I know it's not postcards from the Edge. I can't remember though. Okay, all right, back to Paul, and back to Paul back in Brazil. Back in Brazil. Mm, the Brazilian obladioblada. <laughs> I love that. Did you write that down? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> so good. So good. This is one of the ones that I'm not really super into. I I like the sentiment. I think it's great that he wrote a song about Brazil. He's got such a huge, huge, rabid, amazing yeah, following in Brazil. I'm sure they. Him, so yeah. 
That's I'm sure they're going to love this for sure. I don't know. I It's fine. Again, it's probably not one that I'm going to really keep going back to. And it's sort of like a Latin biker like an icon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> it, yeah. I, I don't love it when he gets into the ethnic stuff. Like when he yeah. goes Jamaican or he, you know, yeah. goes, you know, whatever he does when he does like Indian or, you know, when he tries another culture, he just, it's too much sometimes. Yeah. And it's, it sort of walks that line of what's uh cultural appropriation. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he's not really like doing it well. He's not culturally appropriating well. Uh, Paul, nobody thinks you're Jamaican, Seamoon, uh. you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think this is more of a tribute to it, but I can definitely see what you're talking about. I don't find it offensive in any way. I just probably would skip it if I found it on a playlist. Yeah. I am wondering what some of those lyrics are because there's a point where they start chanting and it sounds to me like they're chanting, it's your mom, it's your mom. And I cannot figure out what they're saying. (laughs) I wrote down, yeah, it's your mom, your mama. Uh, I wrote down Ichiban, but I'm not sure if that's what it is. I-C-H-I-B-A-N. I guess we'll find out. Um, I think the album will include uh, lyric sheets, mm-hmm. but uh, that's what I wrote down. I'm not sure if that's right. <laughs> if you know, let us know what they're yelling there, because we, I don't speak uh, Portuguese. I believe that's what they speak in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, so no idea. I hope it's it's your mom, but it's probably not. <laughs> it's your mom. I could, <laughs> I could hear that. And now I'll forever sing it like that, yep. no matter what the actual lyric yeah, is. Yeah, you're never going to not hear that again. If, nope, you, if you listen to it again. <laughs> I'll probably have to at some point. So yeah. thanks for that, Erica. Sure. I don't think he'll do it. I don't think he'll do it live. Uh, probably in Brazil. Oh, that's probably it. in Brazil. Yeah. It's going to become Definitely. the Mull of Kintyre of Brazil. Oh my gosh. I love it. <laughs> that's uh, that perfectly sums up back in Brazil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next on the album is do it now, which also is a Jim McCartney phrase. And it's funny. I was just reading uh, a bit in uh, Mark Lewis's tune in. Uh, I'm reading the, uh, UK extended edition. And he talks a lot about Jim McCartney and his catchphrases. And Paul has talked about this, do it now, as in if he, Jim was like, go take out the trash, Paul would be like, I'll do it later. And Jim's thing was do it now. And he even abbreviated it to D-I-N. And he'd just say D-I-N. And the kids knew that meant to just do it now. Um, and so this song, which is also a ballad, it harkens back. It actually has connections to put it there because mm-hmm. put it there was another Jim McCartneyism. Yeah, that he would say put it there, and the kids would say if it weighs a ton. So I thought that was a really nice connection. I love that Paul still writes these songs that come from his dad. How many years later? How many years since Jim's been gone? Or you know, Paul's seventy six now. It's amazing. I think it's just so lovely that he does that. Kisses on the bottom was basically a tribute to his dad. It was right. all his dad's music, and right. he's, he's still so connected to him. It's so nice. What did you think about the track? I liked the track. Um, it's another one of these kind of lesson songs, which is interesting. There's a lot of messages throughout the album. Yes. You know, between the political songs and this and the bullying song um, and the 10 dominoes theme, there's a, there's a, he's, he's giving life lessons throughout this album, which is very interesting. I thought it was a bit, it felt sad to me. Right. It felt like it kind of, I think that there was some sadness about, his dad not being here. I think there was an element of that. And maybe there's also a feeling of, it feels like final advice. It kind of feels like what he says in concert after he sings um, his tribute to John, like don't wait till later to tell someone you love that you love them. Do it now. Cause you don't know. 
Right. So I think I might have connected it to that. And it just kind of took on, you know, sort of a sad nostalgia feeling for me. Yeah, I agree. I wrote down benediction. That was the word that came to mind Mm. when I heard it for the first time, because it was like those parting words. And, uh, you know, it, it made me think of the end, which ends memory most full, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and not to get morbid, but obviously Paul is 76. We're talking about, um, you know, this is, he's kind of hopefully not entering the, you know, the last roundabout of the bases for at least making albums and touring, but, this does sound like he's trying to leave you with something. Um, and it kind of falls sort of towards the end of the album, which works uh, there for a little bit of advice. But yeah, I agree. There are a lot of messages in this album that are sort of uh, like life advice. And this is one of them. And this is, again, not even from him. It's from Jim. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely like not one I'm going to go back and listen to a lot. But I think this is one of the ones that over time, I think we'll all appreciate more. Now, Caesar Rock might be the opposite. Yes. Uh, what did you think of Caesar Rock? You know, it's funny. I had two opposite reactions to it. When I heard it on his, um, you know, walkthrough of the songs on Beatles radio, I was like, that's really fucking cool. And it reminds me of the fireman stuff. Yes, I was just going to say that. It's and what is this? Fireman. You got matching teeth stuff. This is really Ugh. weird at the end. Like, this is just strange. And like, I... What I wrote is I would listen to this if it wasn't Paul and I wouldn't for a lot of the other songs in the album. But then when I started listening to it again and this song came on, I'm like, what is this? I don't like this. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. It's so funny. It's, it's kind of the change. opposite of Come On To Me where it sounds better in the collection. It's got a lot of good things. I mean, he's got a really raucous, helter-skelter kind of vocal. There's kind of the play on words like for you, like Caesar rock. It sounds like she's a rock. There's some experimental and electronic stuff. As we said, that harkens back to the firemen. And he told a story about how he kind of just made this next song up with his engineer in the studio. And he decided he wanted to use an auto-tune machine because he saw Kanye working with them and he thought it was cool. And he thought, why the fuck not? I want to do it. So he tried it, which gives his voice kind of a cool sound. Yeah, and I like that he also mentioned in that little story that he brought it back to the Beatles and said, when I was with the Beatles, nothing was sacred. And I think that's a really valuable lesson to take away overall for what the Beatles did, because people treat that stuff like it's holier than anything. And Paul literally just said, nothing was sacred. That's why we did things like Tomorrow Never Knows and did all this experimental crap with our music. And that's the reason we evolved. And I like that he brought it back to his time with Kanye, too. I mean, I know that's really incendiary for some people, but... It's really controversial. I think it was cool that he did that. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not the hugest Kanye fan, but I think that it was a great collaboration and, you know, another thing that just makes Paul different from his contemporaries. I I think Caesar Rock is is good i definitely my very first reaction was this is like the fireman and it made me really want another fireman album so bad i but i thought it was also the most exotic song on the record which made me think it was really tied into the egypt theme the egypt station oh maybe yeah um and also it's interesting there's one guitar riff on it and it repeats but i can't place what song it's from i think it is from get lucky by daft punk i think that's where i've heard that little guitar uh, riff and if anybody oh. hears it and recognizes it let me know because drive me crazy but I'm pretty sure it's from Daft Punk so that sort of incorporates I'm sure it's one of those things that Paul picked up along the way doesn't even realize it but it's this song is sort of just a 
uh, big melting pot of that kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. Very off the top of your head, experimental stuff, which is cool. That's what he likes and that's what he's, you know, done throughout his career. I think he really likes this one, too. He did mention that he almost named the album Matching Teeth. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. You've got matching teeth. So weird. So weird. Paul um, is weird. That's what we love pa- about him. Paul is weird. Episode one. Go listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... The next up is the big one from this album that we've been hearing about for months and months and very exciting, uh, despite repeated warnings. Yeah. Now, as opposed to the other kind of social justice song, this is my kind of political song. Yeah. I like that it's told in an allegory. It's it's sung about a sea captain who is in charge of a ship and the ship's like getting all fucked up. It's off course. It's, you know, it's but the captain is sort of oblivious or he sees it, but doesn't really want to do anything about it. But everybody on the ship is freaking out. And it's sort of an epic. Paul calls it an epic sort of like band on the run um, that goes through the story of how the passengers and the crew on the ship sort of think to to take over the ship from the captain to empower themselves to do that. Paul is he's really cute. Paul is like, oh, this is about climate change. I'm sure part of it is, but this is about Donald Trump. Like you can hear it. It's, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and probably a lot to do with the the Brexit situation as well. But I think it also more directly, more literally works with climate change just because the lyrics. But it's, yeah, it's definitely littered with symbolism everywhere. Yeah, it may be about a climate change issue, but lines like the captain's crazy, but he doesn't let them know it. He'll take us with him if we don't do something soon to slow it. That's about a man. That's about a specific, yeah. specific man. And Also, yeah. I think in the middle bit, <laughs> I think it's in the middle bit, but I was really struck because there's a lyric in there, lock him up. Grab the and keys it, and lock him up. Yeah. Yes, I wrote that down too. I was like, I know. fuck yeah, I was Paul. Out. I was like, what? Oh my gosh, this is, this is obviously 100% Donald Trump right here lock him up yeah and don't ever that's where I'm saying like don't be lazy with the lyrics because you can write this this is amazing yeah this is great this is very and it's like really cheeky you know and I love that it almost feels like Mr. Bellamy to me too because you've got this story from two different sides um and you know one of the people on the sides is batshit crazy yes it is like Mr. Bellamy yeah, I, I really, really like this. And this is another one that sort of grows on me. Um, as The more I listen to it, the more I like it. And the more I like how it breaks down into different parts. Like he says, like Band on the Run or Live Not Die. So musically, it's really entertaining. It's really good. But yeah, the lyrics, this is just, this is the pinnacle on this album of the lyrical content. Yeah, this is great. It's over six minutes long. It's got these really abrupt transitions that are kind of jarring at first, but really contribute to the feeling of the song. Yeah. It's almost and like a musical to, theater piece. It's great. Yeah. And speak to that, the sea captain theme also mm-hmm. of the jerkiness of the medic, metaphorical ship and the literal one in the song. It's really wonderful. Yes. Thanks, Paul. This is great. We love it. I can't wait to wake up like this weekend and, and see Donald Trump tweeting about, you know, how Paul is like horrible and washed up, just like SNL. Yeah. Well, then he knows he's really made it. That's the final exactly. thing. Exactly. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, Let's see. Pulling into the final station, station two, I suppose, which is another ambient track. It sounds like a hustle bustle. Actually, it's funny. In my mind, when I heard it, um, I was picturing Liverpool Lime Street station, which I don't don't know if that was meant to be or just something I thought of because of Paul. Um, 
but uh, it contains a guitar riff that fades into the final suite of Hunt You Down, Naked, and Sea Link, which I first when Paul said it, I thought it was Ceiling. So I wrote that down, but it's Sea Link. I know better now. <laughs> I like Ceiling, though. I'm always going to hear it now as Ceiling. Ceiling. It's Ceiling. But yeah, Hunt You Down, uh, I guess, is a, uh, as Paul describes it, a rocker uh, or a blues complaining song, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. I didn't really. I didn't get that sort of blatant feel from it. It didn't seem super duper bluesy or obviously bluesy to me, but I really, I, I like Cut You Down. It's it's a classic McCartney rocker. Yeah, it's great. And I like it how it starts out really hard, but it kind of gets into this laid back sort of cool, trippy kind of vibe, like almost yeah. like jazz funk sort of feeling. Yeah, I could hear that. You know, it's nice. It reminded me a little bit of Hendrix almost after yeah. about halfway through the song not my favorite favorite but it's it's a nice surprise because you know station two feels like the ending and i'd actually forgotten that there was another song when i heard it i'm like oh oh this is great more mccartney yeah right and it's funny he does that a lot whether it's through hidden tracks or including some sort of like track that's tacked onto the end that you didn't expect i like it when he does that I do too. I like that too. Um, and I, I liked how it transitioned into Naked. Naked is, I wish Naked were its own song. It weren't just part of a medley. I really enjoyed that. I like the waltz mm-hmm. uh, tempo of it. I think that's great. I think the lyrics on this one are great too, because it talks about something, you know, feeling naked uh, in social situations or feeling, uh, just feeling bare. He says, you know, I've been naked since the day I was born, obviously, but it's about bearing your soul and being who you are and that kind of thing. Which is kind of unusual for Paul. He shies away from that deep of a personal tone. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because there's a couple of times in this album where he says things like that. Um, and it makes me think of on new alligator where he talks about everybody else doing or everybody busy doing better than me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's one lyric that will always stick with me because it's like, what the fuck, Paul? Like if people are doing better than you, like what, what am I going to do? Like <laughs> I'm so fucked. But on the other um, hand, if he thinks that, and we all think that if he thinks that, then surely everybody thinks that. Yeah. True. So yeah, cause he's very much of that old school British mindset of not really talking about that stuff. But I think in the past few albums, he's gotten more open, which is really nice. Yeah, I like it that he's done that because I think part of the way people malign him in culture is by saying, you know, telling a few pretty unfortunate stories about like when he was confronted after John's death and when his mother died, you know, he said a few kind of callous, you know, unemotional things. And, you know, whereas John let it all hang out all the time he he was very stiff upper lip so i'm glad that he's showing that you know he's got that side to him you know regularly showing that definitely definitely i agree and you talk about hendrix you know seed link is all about hendrix and paul paul as we all know from seeing him live loves to channel some hendrix (laughs) yep in his uh in his set and he describes seed link as him just loving and enjoying playing the electric electric guitar and how much he still loves to play it loud (laughs) <laughs> I love Simply that. Simply put. Yeah. He's a brilliant, he's a genius, whatever, but he just likes to get out a guitar and turn up his amp and play it fucking loud like every other musician ever. Exactly. And it, he says it never loses that thrill, which is amazing. So, gee, so we've been through the entire album. So I guess if you had to pick your favorite tracks, what would they be? Oh, let's see. I guess we'll have to do like top three because pick top one is not, I can't do that. 
I'm gonna say happy with you, fu you, and I'm gonna go with Domino's. You're not gonna go with I don't know. Oh God, I missed I don't know. It's at the top <laughs> of the list. Damn it. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go with I don't know, fu you, and I guess happy with you. I don't know. I mean, those two are really still at the top. Yeah, I think me. Shit, I shouldn't have asked you because now I have to do it. Um, I I think yeah, hand in hand is up there. Uh, I don't know is up there. And if I had to pick one more, oh, like for you, maybe. For I you think def- for me, I think this album is definitely front loaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, yeah. And I'm surprised with myself that I picked two ballads because I'm not usually a ballady lover, but I, I think those are fantastic. Yeah. Also, despite repeated warnings. Yeah, that is great. a special mention because that's so good. It's just so of the moment. I think that's such a great just a metaphorical song that is really important right now. So any any uh, overarching takeaways from Egypt Station? I think the lessons that he's trying to get across to his audience, that stands out to me. And also the broadness of whether he's, however he's traveling, he's going in a lot of places. Like if you look at the whole track list, maybe half or less are actually love songs. Mm, right. Usually he has way more love songs. Um, yeah. And he's he's really expanded what he's talking about, I think, in this album. I agree. I agree. Um, one thing stylistically I picked up on is he had a lot of, I don't even know what the technical name for this is. So if you're a musician, let me know. But I call them hanging lyrics where the song doesn't end with, you know, instrumental or it doesn't do a fade out. It sort of ends on a lyric. And he had more of those on this album than I had ever heard him do before, which is a very modern thing, which I can only chalk up to Greg Kirsten and his produ- his production, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really interesting. I think for me, overall, the takeaway, it's, it's a solid album. I, I, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's got a lot of good stuff. I don't know. And it may become an album that I go back to and listen to all the way through. It took a while for me to warm up, warm up to new, but that's now one of those where I go back to it and religiously listen to it. I guess I'm just happy to have new McCartney. Me too. I don't know if the balance of good songs and not so good songs is much different than any other album he's had. It's almost that we forget a lot of the not so good songs because he has a you know 55 year career and we don't have to think about the songs that didn't really do so well but even even the ones that didn't i think that i probably have a much more open feeling about his music than other people i mean listening to a paul mccartney album it's almost like you're kind of hanging out with an old friend like yeah you know it's it may not be you may not be like putting down you know, a new framework for modern philosophy, but you're telling each other good old stories and you're really happy to be in each other's company. And that's what I get from a lot of these songs. It's just, I'm happy to see him again. Oh, I really love that. I agree. I think that's the perfect sentiment to wrap up this album and this episode, this special episode. Yes. Well, this has been fun. I hope everybody out there loves Egypt Station. Well, I don't know what you're going to think of Egypt Station, but whatever you do, let us know what you think. Definitely. And check it out. It's it's definitely on streaming services all over the world right now as we're speaking. Also available on CD, uh, vinyl, anything, probably not cassette, but or a track. But uh, you can pick it up wherever you buy your music. Tonight, Friday, September 7th, Paul is doing a special YouTube fan event in New York. Very limited tickets. Still waiting for ours. 
Well, I, I assume they're coming. I know it's um, coming. I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm willing my phone to light up with this. It's got to happen. Exactly. It's got to happen. It's it's predestined. But if you're not able to go, uh, he will be live streaming from the show, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, on his YouTube channel. And better bet, I'm totally going to watch it. Well, as always, don't forget to subscribe and rate and review the podcast so other Beatle maniacs can find us. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at BC the Beatles because the Beatles everywhere. And we'll be back with a full regular episode in a couple of weeks. Until um, then, hit us up. We love to talk about the Beatles 24 hours a day, eight days a week, as you know. And thanks for listening to our special recap of Egypt Station. Yes, thank you. And see you later. Bye. <laughs>